Well, for those of you who were here last week, um, we kind of explained how we got to this little two-part uh, mini-series of such. Uh, you know, the first of the year, we, we talked about things that we basically wanted to try to um, break free of. We talked about being free from bitterness and anger and addictions and lies. And one of the weeks, we talked about being free from worry. And that seemed to be the week that... Man, every week got a lot of responses, but that got the most response. And so many people, there's just something about worry that resonated within people's hearts. And I, I got a lot of just comments, you know, during the week from text or emails or phone calls or whatever it was. And people just talking about, you know, wanting to dive deeper in the things that they worry about. And so um, as I was talking to Beth about that, you know, Beth's like, oh, yeah. She was like, you know, you could talk about this about worry and this. And she went on and on and on. And, um, and I said, well, you know what? Then why don't you preach it? And so... We decided that, uh, you know, after the end of our free series, we would kind of circle back and touch on worry. And so um, as her and I were kind of examining worry a little closer, we got to really, I guess, realize that a lot of what we worry about really boils down to two things. It's we worry about people disappointing us and also God disappointing us. And that's kind of it. The things that we're most worried about, the things that we're most scared about in life, the things that we fear the most is because we're afraid that we're going to be let down by others or that we're going to be let down by God. And so last week, I kind of kicked off the little two-part series and, and tackled this idea of what does life look like when you feel let down by others. Being in ministry for 20-some-odd years now, you know, I've experienced that as a pastor in, in churches and relationships and, and put a lot of hope and faith in some people and, and feeling let down and hurt and angry about how things have turned out. And so I was able to speak to that and speak some truth, but also kind of speak to what God has taught me about those relationships and, and how to have thick skin, but also love with a soft heart. Now, the second week, it, it kind of sounds a little sacrilegious, doesn't it? To say that you're disappointed in God? I mean, the churchy part of us would say, well, how could I ever be disappointed in God? But I think that if we're really honest, if, we're, if we can speak truth, <clears throat> and I think God can handle the truth. There's probably times in our life when we're not angry at God. We're just disappointed. And so, um, so just in case... Um, that's not a question we should ask. That's why I'm letting Beth speak about that this morning. And because if, if, if God's upset about this, he will smite her and not me. So, uh, so Beth is going to come and just, man, preach an amazing word. She is, and you guys know Beth, I have definitely married up, and I can't speak enough about just how honored I am to, to be her husband. And she is such an incredible speaker and a wife and mother and leader. And I'm so excited to hear what she has to teach us this morning on times in life when we feel disappointed by God. So, Beth, take it away. So, we'll definitely open in prayer because, <laughs> like, with build-up like that, I'm like, I don't know how you live up to that. Um, but also, I struggled with coming up with what I wanted to share, not because I didn't have some content, but it was more like the story I would share, because I think this is a really vulnerable topic, and it's not one that most people, especially a pastor's wife or a pastor, want to run around and talk about um, the times we felt disappointed in God. So I'm going to start with prayer and ask that you'll pray for me. God, I just thank you for this group that you brought here. I hope that every person here um, is someone that needs to hear what I have to say, God. And just please just help me um, say the right words, not say anything that would hurt, but let me um, say the words that need to be heard today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So in struggling with what I would talk about, because I'm kind of an expert because I've been disappointed by God a lot, um, I thought about a story that all turned out okay, because I think it's hard to talk about the things that are still really raw and vulnerable where um, you don't, you haven't seen how it's turned out, you know, or where you are still disappointed in God. So I went back and I thought about a time when Mike and I really um, were young and had vision and were excited. And so when we were around 28 years old, Mike had been a youth minister for years and I had um, been working at my law firm. So I finally finished law school and things and Mike was feeling called to plant a church. And we went out of town one weekend and we talked about it. And I remember saying, you know, if we're ever going to do this, now is the time because I finally, I'm working, I'm not in school anymore, so I've got a job. We can support ourselves financially. Um, We can take some time, explore some other churches, see how they do it, get some really good ideas. And we had a good base of friends that were interested in doing this with us. So we decided that we were going to step out in faith. And then I think it was May of that year. I think May, the end of May was Mike's last Sunday at the church where he had worked as a youth pastor. And our plan was that we were going to take June, July, and August, and we were going to go visit a lot of other churches, like smaller church plants and just churches that we wanted to learn from. And we were just going to see what we wanted to take from that and how we wanted to start this church. The other thing that had happened in all of this is I'd worked at my law firm for about two years and I was pregnant with Jacob. And so it was our first pregnancy. We were excited. It was just like everything in the world, you know, seemed like it was the world was open to us. And um, I think it so Mike had his last day of work at the end of May and then on June 5th, I went out of town for my first jury trial. So that was also really exciting. And I was in this little town up in the mountains, and um, we'd gone through the first day of jury trial, and I was going to do part of the argument the next day, and that was a big deal for me, and I was super pumped. But about 6 a.m. that morning, I woke up, and I could tell that I was bleeding. And I didn't know at the time, but what had happened is I'd had this very rare um, condition. It was called a placental abruption. And I was only 24 weeks pregnant, so when they rushed me to the hospital, I didn't know what this was or what had happened, and I didn't know if Jacob would, was alive or not, or if, you know, and mom and dad and Mike and Marion and Byron, nobody was there with me. I was alone going to this hospital, and they told me when I went in there that basically, because I was having um, a, a son, their lungs developed last, and at 24 weeks, the likelihood that he was going to live was almost nothing. Plus, it was further complicated because I was three hours away in this small mountain town where there was no NICU. So even if he would have been born, there was no way for them to like take care of him. So in that moment, I was completely alone. I literally had nobody with me because even the attorney that was with me doing the jury trial had to go to court to tell the judge why we weren't there and the jury. And so I was in this hospital just wondering what in the world had happened because I'm also a perfectionist, kind of like Mike in some ways, but I'm just not neat and don't have organized magnets on the refrigerator. But... um, But I'm a perfectionist in other ways. And see, I had gone into this pregnancy with 
this whole idea of like, I was going to be the most perfect pregnant woman that had ever lived. I didn't have caffeine. I read every book. I was like, oh, you can't have soft cheese. I'm not going to have that. I'm going to do everything right. So as we're, as I was laying there in that bed, waiting for my family to get there and wondering if Jacob would live, I was like, how could this happen? I tried to do everything right. We were following God's call. We were doing what we felt like we needed to do. Um, And then the story didn't end there, of course. I ended up having to be transferred by ambulance to Greensboro. So they had to, my mom and dad and Mike had made it up there, but had to follow in the ambulance three hours through mountainy roads. And when they got us to the hospital in Greensboro, the first thing they did was take us to a NICU to see what a baby looked like that was 24 weeks old because they said it was easier for us to handle seeing somebody else's baby like that before we saw our own. So it clearly signaled to us that no one thought that there was any way that um, probably that our baby would live, much less that I would carry to term. So after that, I ended up, the good news is, because Jacob's here today, as you know, um, I ended up in the hospital on bed rest for 12 weeks because if they sent me home, they said that there was a chance Jacob would die and I would die because you would have to, you would have so much blood loss. And so for that 20, for that 12 weeks that I was in the hospital, I was constantly monitored. I never knew if Jacob would, even if he were born, if he would be okay. I learned all about bleeding on the brain and all the awful things that can happen. Meanwhile, Mike has no job um, and is trying to plant a church and is also responsible now for decorating our nursery, picking out the crib, doing everything that you normally do because I was confined to a hospital bed. I wasn't allowed to get up. I wasn't allowed to leave. Um, And so in those moments, I felt like everything had just collapsed around us. Of course, the most important thing was our child and his health, but also financially. I was in the hospital for 12 weeks. I had just used up my 12 weeks of family medical leave. You know, I I didn't know if I would keep my job. We didn't know how we would pay for a hospital stay of 12 weeks. We didn't know what would happen to the church. Like, what would we do? How would that turn out? There were just all these questions. And what I kept thinking in my mind, and it made me start having a lot of questions about God. And throughout my life, that's just one story of times I've been disappointed by God. I've been disappointed as I've struggled with illnesses, but um, also when people have hurt me, when I've lost trust with people, That's caused me to be disappointed in God. And I know that sounds kind of crazy because other people hurt me, but I will be like, God, why would you let that happen? And I think the most disappointing that I've ever been in God is when I have to watch the people that I love suffer. You know, when when my kids or my family or somebody that I really care about is hurting or sick or battling something, that's the most painful thing. And that's when I really, really feel disappointment in God. And so when I thought about some things, I told y'all I'd be vulnerable. So I'll tell you some things that I think in my head when I'm disappointed in God. And one of those things I think is God doesn't love me. Because if you love somebody, how would you let those things happen? Um, Sometimes I'll think it must be because God's disappointed in me. Um, At other times I'll think it's got to be, again, about me. I must be so broken and so defective, you know, that God's just kind of turned his back on me. Or I'll think, if I could just be a little better, if I could be good enough, maybe God would fix me or fix this person that I love and care about. Or I'll think, maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I have been so bad that God is having to punish me. 
Um, so I just keep thinking, because if I've tried so hard, why would God let this happen? And then when I think all those things, there's also all the feelings that go along with it. And a lot of times the feelings are worse than the thoughts. Because when I'm thinking those things, I start to feel sad and angry and hopeless and anxious. But I think the worst feeling that I have when I have all of that is shame. Um, shame that, you know, first of all, shame that God isn't intervening the way that I would want, but also shame how would people perceive me if they know that these are the things that I'm thinking about God. And then the bad thing is these thoughts lead to feelings, and then these feelings develop into core beliefs. They develop into things that I truly believe in my heart about God. And I have honestly had these thoughts, and I, I know Mike's talked about it before, but I run. And when I run, that's when I, like, process things. And so if you ever see me out running and I'm, like, weeping, um, it doesn't mean that, like, I'm injured or anything. It's usually because I'm processing something. And so when I've struggled with these things, there have been times when I would run and I would think, well, maybe God's just not good. Because if God is as good as we say God is in the Bible, good and loving, then how could someone that is good, how could a good being allow all this hurt and pain? Not just that I suffer, but that I see in the world. And then I'll think, but if I believe God is good, maybe it's just that God's not all powerful. Because maybe God is good, but maybe God isn't powerful enough to intervene and stop it. And that's not a very good thought either, because that goes against like what I've been taught, what I read in the Bible, what I read about God's power, which then leads me to for me, this is generally the worst fear that I have out of these, which is, so if I believe God is good and I believe God is powerful, then the conclusion that I reach and the belief that I form is that God just doesn't care. Because I think if he's truly good and truly powerful, he must not care or there's no way he would allow these things to happen. And then that also leads me to a further belief of the reason God probably doesn't care is because he's so disappointed in me because I'm bad or because something's wrong with me. And then sometimes if I let this go very far, I've even gone to the point, um, there have been times in my life when I've looked at Mike and I was like, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. I don't, what if there's not a God? And I know, and again, I'm being vulnerable and real with you. I know that's not like something, I feel like growing up in the South in church, you don't say that. And definitely when you're the pastor's wife, you don't say, I've had these moments where I'm like, what if there is no God? What if this is it? What if this is all there is? Because my brain, I can't, when I'm thinking and feeling and believing these things, I can't comprehend how there could be a God that would allow these things. So a few years ago, I found a story that I fell in love with, and it's just the first part of Ruth. And I don't know if any of you have ever read that book in the Old Testament, but basically, there was this woman named Naomi, and she and her husband had moved to this other land away from their home, and when they moved there, she had two sons. And while she was there, her two sons got married. So it's kind of like the way Mike and I were early on in my story. You know, everything's going well. You're, you're married. You've got your kids. Your sons are getting married. Everything seems like it's good. But then both of her, her husband died, and then not long after, both of her sons died. So here she was left, just her and these two daughters-in-law. And when you go to Ruth 1, 11, um, verse 11, it says, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters, 
Why would you come with me? I am going to have more, I'm not going to have more sons who could become your husbands. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. So she's given up all hope. Even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And then after all of that, Ruth says some very powerful things and decides that she's not going to leave Naomi, that she's going to stay with her and to follow her. So when those two go back to Naomi's homeland in verses 20 and 21, when people would come up to Naomi, they'd be like, oh, there's Naomi. She's moved back. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And I think the reason I love this story is because in those few verses, Naomi says like everything that I've thought and that I've felt and those beliefs because she thinks that God has turned against her. And she feels bitter. She, she, she feels so bitter that she changes her name because she feels that bitter. And she feels empty and she's lost all hope. And then she even believes, just like I said, she believes that God brought this misfortune. She says, God brought this misfortune upon me. She has those thoughts and those feelings and those beliefs. So when you think about these things, though, what, what is it about us? Why, why does this happen? And I think there's two things that cause us to have this great disappointment in God. And the first one is our perceptions. And I know you hear the saying, like, perception is reality. But for, for us, it is. Because the way we perceive the world and perceive what others are doing and perceive what God is doing, that is our reality. And I think for a lot of us, because of childhood wounds or past hurts or loss or trauma or depression or you name it, we perceive God through like a cloud or or a sheet. Like we can't see God the way God really is. And so the way we are perceiving God and perceiving the world, that becomes our reality. And so how we're perceiving what God is doing is influencing what we're thinking and feeling and believing And then I think that the second thing is our expectations. Because when when it comes down to it, like in the situations that I've described, whether it's what happens with my kids and my health or what happens with um, a family member or um, struggles that I've had, I often have expectations of God. And for one reason or another, I become disappointed in God because God doesn't meet those expectations. And so for... For example, um, I may think that God should act and be the way that I am. So I think that the world should make logical sense. And I think, well, if I would do this, God should do this. And that becomes my expectation of God. Or sometimes I believe that God should act like other people act or treat me. So if I feel like other people only love me if I do something for them or only love me if I'm good, then I believe God is that way too. So I've set this expectation up. So I have these perceptions of God and I have these 
expectations of God. And when God doesn't meet my expectations, I get really, really disappointed in God. So what can you do to repair these things? So the first thing I think is awareness because a lot of us, and even me, we go through life on autopilot. We're kind of sleepwalking, you know? We're just going through life reacting. Like, I'm disappointed in God. I must be bad. God must be punishing me. And we're not even aware of what's going on in our heads. And um, the reason I, I found this powerful statistic when I was looking, and it said in 2005, the National Science Foundation published research. And they said that the average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Now, I have ADHD, so I'm on the 60,000 end. Um, and Mike also says that since I'm a verbal processor, that I say probably 55,000 of the 60 thoughts that I have. Um, <laughs> He probably has more on the 12,000 in, and he only says about, I don't know, two of the 12,000 thoughts <laughs> that he has a day. So we're a little opposite now we process that. But that's a lot of thoughts going through our head. But this is the crazy part. Of those 12 to 60,000 thoughts per day, they found that 80% were negative thoughts. So 80% of what we're all walking around thinking. If you do the numbers on 80% of 60,000, that is a lot of negative thoughts. But then out of that, they found that 95% of our thoughts are the exact same repetitive thoughts that we had the day before. So if you see that pattern, 80% of what we're thinking is negative, and then 95% of what we're thinking is the same negative things that I've been saying over and over in my mind. And the problem with that is it's almost like we are hardwired um, or brainwashing ourselves to think these negative things. And I think we'll paint that, like I, I used to for years think it was just a mental problem. Like this is just a mental and emotional issue because I need to just reprogram my thinking. And it is a mental issue and it impacts you physically. But I think the really important thing we have to realize once we're aware of this is that this is a spiritual issue because how can you have 80% of your thoughts every day that are negative and that not interfere with your relationship with God? It's going to become a spiritual issue because all those negative thoughts are going to impact how you relate to God and how you feel God and how you see God and what you think about God. So what are the answers? Well, I don't have all of them because, as I told you, I'm still disappointed sometimes in God. So, I mean, I struggle with this all the time. But some things that I think truly work, and I think one of those is the first one is to be honest with God. In 1 John 1.19, it says, But if we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise to do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all of our wrongdoing. So I struggled with putting that verse in there because I told Mike, I said, I do not want people to walk out thinking that their thoughts are sins. So I've got to get that out there. I'm not saying that what you think is a sin because I think also through science, what they've discovered, a lot of our thoughts we can't control. But I think it was a few weeks ago when Mike had shared about what his counselor said, and my counselor has said some similar things. You, you can't control the first thought that comes in, but you can control whether, you know, if it's like a bird, you let the bird build a nest on your head and lay eggs and have an entire family of thoughts there. So I may not be able to control that first thought, 
but I can start to try to control the second and the third and the fourth thought. And so, again, not saying your thoughts are sin, but if we look at sin as anything that separates us from God, again, all those negative thoughts are going to make us have negative feelings and negative beliefs. And there's no way that that's not going to cause some separateness from God. So, first of all, there have been times when, like, again, when I run, I'm like screaming at God or yelling at God or crying and just like, sometimes I even have to stop because I feel like I'm going to hyperventilate because I'm just so like upset with God. And I think the thing is, first of all, God can take it. Second of all, I don't know why I think thinking it in my head, I'm like hiding it from God, you know, but there's something about saying words out into the air, even if nobody else hears them. Because when they're in your head, I don't know why, but it's like a cancer that multiplies. And these thoughts just can consume you and convince you that you're the only one thinking it and that you're crazy. But it's something about just saying it out loud, even if it's just to God that helps that thought. It loses a little bit of that power over you. But I think you have to go like another step further And the second step after you speak those thoughts to God is to speak them to safe, safe friends or a counselor or a therapist or a pastor or someone. And in James 5.16, it says, So then, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. The prayer of a good person has a powerful effect. So why does that help? Well, first of all, When I've said a lot of these crazy things in my head, I will convince myself that I'm the only person that has ever thought these things. But then sometimes when I sit down with a safe friend, they'll say, oh, I've thought that too. Or they, even if they haven't thought that thought, so they can normalize it to know, okay, well, I've spoken this out loud and I didn't get struck down by God. They didn't run away and stop talking to me. So that helps normalize the thought. And oftentimes they will have struggled with something too. But even if some of my friends haven't struggled with the exact same thoughts that I have, they can do two things. One is they can pray for me and pray with me. And the other thing they can do is they can speak some truth into me. Because there have been times when I said to Mike, like, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore because I would be so depressed and upset. And he would say, Everything about your life says that you believe in God. Like, I know you do. I see what you do. I sometimes need somebody external to me to say, Beth, you believe in God. It's okay. You know, God is not punishing you. He can speak these truths into my life, and he can help me see these thoughts that I'm having that aren't reality, that are just my perceptions. Now, the one thing I will say, because I said you have to do it with a safe friend, and you don't always know which friends are going to be safe. So the one thing I would say is if you sit down with somebody and you confess these things and they say, you shouldn't think that or I've never thought that, well, that doesn't mean that you're bad or anything. That just means that that person's probably not, they either haven't experienced something that's led them to have these doubts yet, or they can't be honest with themselves yet enough to admit that they're having those struggles. So that's probably not the safest person for you to talk to, which is why I would say find somebody else and talk to them because there's true power in community and there's power in being vulnerable with our community and sharing these things because it can help normalize it and it can help us find the real truth. And then the final thing after you've been become aware 
taken it, realized it's a spiritual problem, taken it to God and taken it to a friend is this is where when we talk about the verses that talk about capturing your thoughts, you have to challenge your misbeliefs and your thoughts and your feelings. So when I think things like God doesn't care about me, well, okay, that's a false feeling or thought or belief, but what can I do about that? And then I start thinking about the verses where Jesus talked about, you know, look at the birds. God cares about the birds. I go outside and I look at something beautiful in creation. And I'm like, well, if God cares about this, he has to care about me. And I just have to keep telling myself that truth over and over. And I will tell you that there was a time when I got so, um, I guess, disappointed in God that like none of those truths helped me. But the only truth that I could know that I had experienced was love. And what I mean by that is I'd seen a lot of bad things that had happened to us, bad things that had happened to other people. At my work, I see a lot of bad things people do to one another. But even in all that badness, I could still know about that powerful love that I would sometimes feel for my family and my friends and people I cared about. And I would see sometimes when people showed that love to me. And I would cling, there's a verse that just says, God is love. And that was the only thing that I could keep telling myself, is God is love. And then I would tell myself, if I can still feel love, then there's got to be a God and he has to be there. So sometimes it's just you got to find that one thing that you can cling to, that you can believe, and you just keep speaking that truth into yourself again and again and again. And that's going to be the best way, I think, that you can begin to overcome these disappointments that you may feel in God. So um, I hope that that was, um, I prayed about it a lot. It's stuff that I've struggled with and I still struggle with. I hope that if anybody is struggling, that you would feel safe to say your struggles to God, but also to say it to someone that is safe. And I think the other thing, I always have to put my little um, mental health um, thing in here too. Sometimes, um, you, you know, all the prayers in the world can't heal everything. You know, it's like if you've got diabetes or something, I'm not going to be like, well, let's just pray about it constantly. I'm going to tell you to go to the doctor. And so I think sometimes that's an important thing for some of us. Sometimes we need more help than even God and our friends can give. And I feel like God gave us doctors and medications and therapists and people that are trained to help us. And so that would be the other thing. I think if you, it's something you continue to struggle Just don't give up and always think about all those resources that are out there for you. And I'm going to close this in prayer. God, I just thank you um, for this, this morning. And thank you for being strong enough to withstand our doubts and our anger and our shame and our fear. And God, just help us to... Um, to begin to be aware when we feel disappointed in you, God, just help us to have the strength to, to admit it. First of all, just to admit it to ourselves and to even say it out loud to you, God, give us the strength to just say, God, I'm disappointed in you because of this. And then God, help us to find friends that, that we can speak our disappointments to that can help us see Um, some of our flawed beliefs and our misbeliefs and some of our thoughts, God, and help us to challenge those thoughts, God. Help us to become a church that isn't full of 80% negative thoughts, God. Help us to start to turn so many of those thoughts to positive thoughts, Um, change our perceptions and change our expectations. In Jesus' name, amen.